song. One of the reasons I haven't had people up the front to read over the last few Sunday mornings is to try and spare you from having to read through some of the long lists of names in Ezra. And so here we are today, we're beginning a new series leading up to Christmas, and there's another list of 42 names. Now, we know there's some people have lists at Christmas, but as we think about Christmas, why would we have a list of 42 names? How does that help us get ready for Christmas? Well, it helps us in lots of ways. This list of names is really special and it's, it's really important because this list of names is Jesus' family tree. It's popular at the minute, isn't it, to, uh, to trace your family tree. Advert on the um, radio coming down this morning, Ancestry.com, $49.99, you can do a DNA test and trace all your family tree. You can buy these kits that can, can pinpoint your, your, your ethnic roots and, uh, and tell you all sorts of things about yourself. Now, maybe as you think about your family tree, there are people in it that you really, really love and the people that you're embarrassed of. Maybe there's the uncle, and every Christmas he has a few too many and he starts being inappropriate. Or there's the person from a few generations ago who nobody in the family talks about. Well, this morning, as we start to get ready for Christmas, we're going to think about Jesus' family tree. And if you think your family tree is bad, Jesus' family tree is horrendous. But it's not just that this is Jesus' family tree we're looking at. This list also teaches us why Jesus was born. And it might not be obvious to us, but if we look carefully, this list of people actually explains the whole of the Old Testament. This list is called a genealogy. And it shows us what Jesus is like. It shows us why Jesus came. And we're going to spend the next few weeks in the first couple of chapters of Matthew. And by way of introduction this morning, we're looking at Jesus' family tree and seeing what it teaches us. So this list of 42 names, it's not actually a complete list. If you compare other genealogies in the Bible, you'll see that the odd generation gets skipped in this list. Now, that's not because there are mistakes in this list. It's just Matthew's giving us headlines. He's giving us highlights or lowlights. He's including specific people to make specific points. It's a bit like this, that if I hear the word Cleethorpes, it brings very certain specific memories to me. Because every Whit Week, every May Bank Holiday Week when I was a kid, we used to drive the 50 miles from our house and we'd stop in my grandma's one-bedroom bogey caravan with no toilet. And there'd be about seven, six or seven of us. So when you say Cleethorpes to me, it's more than just a name. There's lots of things that, that come with it. If I was to say Barmouth to you, to, to many of you, you'd think about camp. You think about how hilarious the concert was and different things. But you get the point, you don't have to give a full description of something for people to understand what you're talking about. People in the know, people who've been there with you, they get what you're on about when you mention the name. So if I mention Cleethorpes to, to my mum, my dad, my sister, we all have the same memory. Well, Matthew 17 is a bit like that. It, 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 Matthew 17 is the, the storyline of the Bible 
through names. It's a bit like, tra- it's a, bit like a map with major cities that you've travelled through and you've, you've put pins on the map. And you remember where you've been and what you did there and what happened and, and, and why it was special. Well, well, these names in this list are there to evoke people's memories. And what I want us to see today is three P's. Purpose, people, and power. What's the purpose of this list? Who are the people in, these, in this list? Or why are these people in this list? And who's got the power to bring all this together? And in doing that, we're going to see that God is, is faithful, God is merciful, and God is powerful. So first of all, what's the purpose of this list? Look at verse 1 with me. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The bulk of Matthew's audience, as he, as he writes this, are Jewish people, steeped in the Old Testament. People who knew their Old Testament history. And in this one verse, Matthew explains why Jesus is so significant. And in this one verse, Matthew makes sense of the whole of the Old Testament. It might just look like three names to us. Matthew's making sense of the whole of the Old Testament. We might not, but an astute Jew at the time would have picked up, a bit like Cleethorpes and Barmouth, it had picked up on what Matthew was saying when he said Jesus, David, and Abraham. For a Jew, the names Abraham and, and David would have reminded them immediately of two main things, or one main thing, they would have reminded them of covenant. A covenant's a, a, a deal that's, that's made and kind of sealed in blood and can't be broken. Well, God made two covenants in the Old Testament. He made, made more, but he made two main covenants in the Old Testament, two main promises in the Old Testament. He made one with Abraham and one with David. So a, a, a Jew reading this would have immediately, uh, they, as they heard Abraham, they'd have heard covenant, and as they heard David, they'd have heard covenant. We need to go further back than that, though, because actually understanding Matthew, understanding math, key to understanding Matthew 1 is understanding Genesis 1. So in Genesis 1 and 2, God makes this perfect world with Adam and Eve. The perfect people. And, and as God finishes creating this perfect world, he says, this is good. And Adam and Eve have this perfect and unbroken relationship with God, don't they? And God says to Adam and Eve, really important, he says, fill the whole earth with blessing and rule over it for me. Remember those two things. Fill the whole earth with blessing and rule over it for me. God's plan as the world's created is for the blessing of Eden to spread all around the world and for God's rule to spread all around the world. And there's one condition, don't eat of that tree. But we know what happens, don't we? Adam and Eve as our representatives, they don't want to be under God's rule. They don't want to rule for God. They want to rule for them, just like we do. And so they disobey God's one command. And as Adam and Eve disobey God's one command, that, that fellowship with God gets shattered. They're not going to bless the whole world now. They're not going to rule over creation now. But God's plan still stands. God's plan is that he's going to bless the whole earth and there is people who are going to rule with him. Remember that. It's key to understanding Matthew 1. And God promises Eve that she'll have an offspring. It's called a seed. And he said, this seed will crush the serpent. It'll defeat Satan. And it'll begin to restore things. And so Eve has a son and she calls him Abel. Abel means I've gotten a man from the Lord. Eve's thinking this is the one. He's going to do it. But Abel doesn't do it. 
And there's lots more kids born. And when the kids are born, you're thinking, is this one going to be the one? And they're not. And then 2,000 years pass between Genesis 3 and Genesis 11. And we meet a bloke called Abraham. The Abraham from Matthew 1. And God calls Abraham to follow him. And Abraham leaves everything and obeys God and follows him. And in Genesis 22, God makes a covenant with Abraham. We've preached on it before. I'd love to spend time on it, but we can't. It's one of the two main covenants that God makes in, in the Old Testament. And surprise, surprise, it's called the Abrahamic Covenant. So much more we could say. The point is, God makes this covenant with him. And God promises Abraham, he says, from your seed, from your offspring, singular, all nations on earth will be blessed. Ever so important. What's, what's, what's God doing there with Abraham? He's saying, look, the blessing that I had planned for the world in Eden through Adam and Eve, I'm going to bless the world through your seed. Someone's going to come from your family and he's going to bless the whole world. God says to Abraham, I'm making the covenant with you through your offspring, every nation on earth is going to be blessed. And it's called the Abrahamic covenant. What's the Abrahamic covenant all about? God's going to bless the whole world through one of Abraham's offspring. We learned something today, haven't we? Another 2,000 years or so pass, and we come to King David. It's only the second king that, that, that Israel have ever had, and God makes a covenant with David. Now, if God's original plan was to bless the whole world and rule over it, and he said, through Abraham, I'm going to bless the whole world, you can guess what's going to happen through David, can't you? We read about in 2 Samuel 7, God makes a covenant with David. Guess what it's called? The Davidic covenant. David's a king. David rules over God's people, but he's not perfect. He's not going to live forever. Remember the promise in Genesis, God's going to bless the world and rule over it. And so the covenant that God makes with David is all about rule. God promises from David's royal line, there's going to be a king who will rule forever. And his kingdom will have no end. His kingdom will spread out all over the world. So they're the two covenants that shape the Old Testament. They're the two covenants that these, these Jewish people knew about. The Davidic and the, the Abrahamic and the Davidic covenant. The promise to, to bless the whole world and rule over the whole world. And the waiting for this seed, this offspring to come. So when we understand that, when Matthew says in verse 1, Jesus Christ, the son of David the son of Abraham, what he's saying is massive. Here's the one promised in Eden. Here's the one promised in the covenant to Abraham who's going to bless all nations. Here's the one who's promised in the covenant to David who's going to be a king that will rule over all nations. Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. He's showing them Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the promised one. That The name Christ means anointed one. He's the one that's been anointed by God to bless the whole world and rule over the whole world. Jesus of the seed promised to Eve is, is arrived. Now, to this day, the Jews in general have rejected that. They're still looking for the Messiah promised to bless the whole world through Abraham. They're still looking for the king who's going to rule from David's line. They won't acknowledge that it's Jesus. But here's Matthew writing to Jews, and he says, Jesus Son of David, son of Abraham. It couldn't be any clearer. Jesus is God's king who's going to rule and bless all nations of the earth. What are we celebrating at Christmas? Jesus. God's anointed king who's going to rule and he's going to bless all nations. He's going to bring us back to God. He's going to bring us back to Eden. 
pretty impressive for one verse, isn't it, that? Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham, explains the whole of the Old Testament. And it reminds us this, God keeps his promises. God's faithful. He kept his promise to Abraham. He kept his promise to David. He brought Jesus. Took 4,000 years. And over those 4,000 years, a lot of people lost the nerve while they were waiting. But God's faithful. And if God says something in his word, he will deliver. That's the first thing. Second thing is why these people? Verse 2 to verse 17, we see this. If you're a Christian with any kind of self-awareness, you'll have looked at yourself, you'll have looked at your life in the past, and you'll look at your life in the present, and you'll ask the question, why me? Do you ever ask that? Why has God chosen to bless me and bring me into his family? You look around, and there's, what are we, 2 or 3% of the population Christians? Not because we're fancy, not because we're good. We know we're not. Why has God chosen to bless us? Why has God chosen to bring me into his family? Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. And the thing that you're struggling with is you're saying, why me? Why would God want someone like me? After all, everything that I've done, after everything that I'm doing, why would God want someone like me? And you come to the conclusion, I'm a lost cause. He wouldn't want me. Well, this family tree is here to encourage you to press into Jesus and to come to Jesus. Jesus is the King of kings, he's the Lord of lords, he's equal with God because he is God and God is holy, God cannot look upon sin. And you'd reckon, wouldn't you, that the people that God chooses to be in the family line of Jesus is one who fulfills the whole of the Old Testament promises, you're going to look for someone who's the best of the best, no scandal, no fault. We don't want any scandal in this family tree. We don't want any skeletons coming out of the closet in this family tree that could derail or discredit Jesus. So make sure, especially if we're not including everyone, especially if we're we're handpicking people for this, make sure that when when we include people in this family tree, we include the good ones, not the embarrassing uncles. That's the that's the logic that's the logic if I were doing a family tree for Jesus. It seems reasonable. And and don't get me wrong, lots of people in this family tree were good people, but even the good ones had skeletons in the closet. As a family tree, this genealogy of Jesus, it's been analysed. It stands up to scrutiny. People who are, who, who are not Christians look at this family tree and say, yeah, that's accurate. In fact, there are stories about Jewish rabbis and Jewish professors being convinced about Jesus from this genealogy. This, this genealogy is credible. And so we can say Jesus came from the right stock. Jesus came from the right stock, but the right stock wasn't good stock. Jesus came from the right stock. You can trace his family line, and it's accurate, but it wasn't good stock. Abraham, the first name mentioned. Abraham, the father of all who believe, is admired by Christians, is admired by Muslims, a great man. Twice in his life, he pimped out his wife to save his own skin. Abraham, the father of all those who have faith. David, the other great name on the list. David, the king after God's own heart. Has an affair, gets her pregnant, puts her husband, who's one of his mates, on the front line of the army so that he knows he'll, he'll die so the affair can be covered up. Well, David's in the list. You've got Isaac, Abraham's son, he gets a mention. He did the same as his daddy, pimped out his own wife. You've got Jacob. Jacob was a sneaky liar. His name means slippery. Jacob has 12 kids. Which one do you reckon gets to be in Jesus' family? In his family line, Joseph or 
Well, no, he picks Judah. Judah, the one who, when his own son died, had sex with his daughter-in-law because he thought she were a prostitute. It's, this is like, this family line is like the Jeremy Kyle Halloween version, isn't it? And we're still only in verse 3. Solomon, David's son, Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, goes away from God and takes a thousand lovers. A thousand lovers. You've got Manasseh, he gets a mention, King Hezekiah's son. Manasseh was king for 55 years, and at the end of his life, he repented. But, but before, his, before that, during his life, he was the king in Israel, and he built alt- altars to foreign gods in the temple. You know the temple we've been looking at in Ezra, that gets rebuilt. Before that temple's rebuilt, the, the, the previous temple, we know what the temple stands for. He puts foreign gods in there and worships them. He practiced human sacrifice. And he's described in the Bible as causing Judah to sin more than the nations around him. Now, so far, I've only mentioned some of the dads. In Jewish family trees, you didn't mention women. They weren't deemed important enough. It wasn't significant. Everything came through the father. Very, very unusual to mention a woman in a Jewish genealogy. But women are mentioned in Jesus' genealogy. You'll you'll notice these women are mentioned. Who gets a mention in Jesus' genealogy out of the women? Let's have Sarah, Abraham's wife, often called the mother of nations. Great woman. Well, she don't get a mention. Very much part of Jesus' family, but she don't get a mention. Or Rebecca or Rachel, massive players in the story and in the covenant, but they don't get a mention. If you're astute, you'll have picked up there are five women mentioned in this genealogy. Five women in Jesus' family tree that get a mention. Four of them are Gentiles, that means non-Jews. They'd have been seen to have polluted the bloodline. Three of the five were famous for being sexual sinners. One of them were from a nation renowned for being sexual sinners, and the other was going to be accused of sexual sin. Let's look at them. Verse 3, you've got Tamar. Remember we talked about Judah? Perez and Zerah are named in the genealogy. There's no need whatsoever to mention the mum, because the dad's Judah and he's had a mention. But the mum gets a mention, Tamar. Tamar had been married to Judah's son. Judah's son died, and it was Judah's responsibility to look after his daughter-in-law, but he didn't. And so she dressed up as a prostitute, covered her face with a veil, seduced him, and had kids to him, and he were only too happy to oblige. And Tamar makes the list. Next up, we've got Rahab in verse 5. Remember Boaz? Great Boaz, the hero of the book of Ruth. Who were his mum? A Canaanite prostitute who turned to Jesus. Why does she get a mention? Boaz takes a wife, Ruth. Ruth's from the people of Moab, Israel's sworn enemies, the people renowned for horrendous sexual practices. Ruth makes the list. Next up, verse 6. Solomon of the kingly line of David born, she didn't get, her name didn't get mentioned, but born to Bathsheba. Who was Bathsheba? Bathsheba, the woman that David had an affair with. And then finally Mary, verse 16. Lord, Lord, just choose someone who can't be scandalized. Let's do this properly. And no, he chooses a teenage virgin who's going to be accused of adultery. She's going to be the mother of Jesus. The one who's going to rule and bless all nations. Jesus' family tree is absolutely scandalous. 
And the most scandalous thing about Jesus' family tree being scandalous is that it was deliberately scandalous. We think, wouldn't it have been better, wouldn't it have been more convenient for Jesus to have mentioned women who were above scandal, or at least to have left these women out? What, what's the point? If the purpose of this genealogy is just to prove where Jesus came from, there's no reason to mention these women. In fact, these women would have shown that there was some impurity in the bloodline. Why are some of the men mentioned in this genealogy really, really dodgy? Why are these people named in the line of Christ? Surely the line of Christ needs to be pure. Why are these people named? What does that verse say behind me? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Does that describe you? Because if it does, there's hope. Jesus Christ, the one who knew no sin, became sin for us. Jesus Christ, the spotless, righteous Son of God, who isn't just going to rule over the world, he rules over heaven. He isn't just going to bless the world, he blesses the universe. And we think about the reality, he enters into our dirty little world. And, and he's involved in our dirty little lives. And we're right to think that our sin should block us from, from ever being associated with Jesus. We're right. I'm right to think my sin should block me out of being in Jesus' family tree forever. But as we bring our sin to him, he welcomes us in as his family. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 2, it says, God is not ashamed to be your God. Think about that. Not ashamed, it's a literary device. It's called litotes. It's where you say a negative to affirm a positive. So let's say Isabel makes me a trifle. Isabel, I love your trifles. It's Christmas coming up. And as I eat Isabel's trifle, Mark says to me, what's it like? So I'll tell you what, mate, it's not bad. What am I saying? I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it's not bad. I'm saying it is very good. So when Jesus says in Hebrews 2, I'm not ashamed to be called their God, what he's saying is, I am proud to be called your God. What? Jesus says in, in Hebrews 2.13, Here I am with the children you've given me. I am proud of them. So, well, I'm not proud of me, Lord, but he says, I am proud of you. This is the, the reality of the gospel. Because of, because of Jesus, because he's going to pay for our sins, because he's going to rule and reign and bless the whole earth, we are not an embarrassing secret to Jesus. You're not an embarrassing secret to Jesus. He came into the world to save sinners. Abraham, David, Solomon, Judah, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth. So that they can be brought into his family. It's proof, isn't it, that this family tree, Jesus is going to bless all nations. That's why these Gentile women are mentioned. Canaanites, Moabites, Hittites. And Jesus is just getting started. Wait till you get to the New Testament. Wait till you see who else Jesus brings into his family. Paul, the murderer. Wait till you get to, to Pentecost and see hundreds of them getting saved. Wait till you get to see the thief on the cross. Wait till you get to some of the early church fathers and you get Augustine who a proper dodge before he got converted and God saves him. Let's get up to date and don't do this, but have a look around you. Look at the blessing in this room. God has blessed 
the whole world through Jesus. Because Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And his family tree declares it. The Cleethorpes and the Barmouths, people would have known what Tamar meant, that have known what Rahab meant. In Matthew 19, there's outrage amongst the religious people about who Jesus spends all his time with. This man is a friend of sinners and he eats with them. Praise God. There's so much more than a list of names, isn't it? This is a series of billboards lit up showing Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He's going to rule all nations. He's going to bless all nations. Jesus didn't come for people who were self-respecting, self-righteous, self-sufficient. Jesus came for sinners. We said it last week. It isn't an absence of sin in your life that marks you out as a Christian. It's that we daily bring our sin to Jesus because Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Awesome news. It means if you have or if you will come to Jesus, he isn't embarrassed to get his hands dirty with you. He isn't embarrassed to work through your problems with you. He's not ashamed to own up to being related to you. He's proud. Ain't God merciful? Just look at the people God brings into his family. And once he's brought us into his family, he doesn't hide us away as a dirty little secret. Nobody puts baby in a corner. God keeps his promises. Promises made to Abraham, promises made to David. He's going to bless the whole world. He's going to provide a king that will rule forever. And just look at the people that he chooses and uses. And when you look at them, have confidence in what he's done for you. There's only one hope this morning if you're a sinner. That one hope's everything you need. It's completely sufficient. And we get to meet him in verse 17. Jesus who is called the Christ. Jesus, who is called, Jesus was his earthly name. Christ is his title, the anointed one. God's anointed, the king that's been anointed to bless the whole world and rule. We'll see more why he's called that next week because verse 21, he will save his people from their sins. Jesus will be born in squalor. He'll grow up amongst normal people. He'll die to defeat sin. He'll rise to defeat death. He'll bless all nations. He'll rule forever. He's doing it now, but it's not been finished. Who does all this? Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And finally, this brilliant genealogy shows us one more thing. We've seen the purpose. We've seen the, the people. Who's got the power? Who could bring a mess like this together? After God's promise to bless the whole earth and rule with his people shattered in Genesis 2, how can it be fixed? Because here's the problem. It seems the people in this list are doing the best to derail the promise. It feels like with us sometimes, doesn't it? I feel like we're doing the best to spoil Jesus' plans. What power can stop, stop this being derailed? What power can stop Abraham blowing it when he pimps out his wife? What power can rescue David's family line after he's committed adultery? So often in, in this family, I wish I could take you through it more. In this family line, we, we see God's covenant hanging by a thread, seemingly. It looks like if one more person dies, it's done. At one point in the Old Testament, you've got, a, you've got a, I think it's a seven-year-old king. Who have to, they have to hide in a tower for a few years because his mother-in-law is trying to kill him, and that'll kill the Davidic line. But God keeps it going. And in, in Isaiah, we, we read... We've been looking at Ezra, haven't we, as well? Ezra, God's people are taken into exile. And it looks like the family line's done for. But God keeps his line going. 
And we're told in Isaiah that when they return, it's only the stump of Jesse. Remember, Jesse's David's dad. It's only the stump of David's line. It's only the stump of God's promise that remains. It's only, it's only like a little shoot. But Isaiah says, from this stump is going to come a branch. And on this branch, the Spirit of the Lord's going to rest. And he's going to be righteous, and a child will lead him. And this root of Jesse is going to be a banner for the people, and the Gentiles will seek him. Who is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. When you were at war, each unit would carry a banner, a big flag. And when you'd won a victory, they'd raise the banner so that you can run to the flag and be safe. This is a safe place. Isn't that a great way to describe Jesus? The banner. The one who declares victory and we can run to him. This is so much more than a boring list. It's a testament to the fact Jesus keeps his promises. Like he did to Abraham, like he did to David. He's going to bless the whole world through King Jesus, who's going to rule forever. It's testimony to the mercy of God that he deliberately includes sinners, notorious sinners in this list. It tells us that nobody is too dirty for Jesus. I think I've told you before, there were a, a plumber's van years ago. And on the side of the van, it says, there is no place too dark, too deep, too dirty that we won't go. That's a great, we could get that sign up there, isn't it, for Jesus. There is no person too dark, too deep, too dirty that Jesus won't go. It's testimony to Jesus' power. Despite these people and despite us, we continually press the self-destruct button. Jesus is powerful to save and to keep. Jesus is not afraid to be our God. He's not ashamed to be our God. So as we begin the Christmas season, as we start to consider Jesus coming into the world, there's only one question, really, and it's a massive question. It's the biggest question you'll ever answer. Are you in this family? Not are you good. Are you in Jesus' family? Because you need to be. See, it's not about how good you have to be to get into Jesus' family. You acknowledge you're a sinner, you put your trust in him, and you're in. But if you're not in this family, you're done for. Through this family, the world's going to be blessed. Through this family, Jesus is going to rule forever. And so the obvious thing is, I've got to be in this family. And the way to get into this family is we come to Jesus as the banner, the one who's had victory over our sin. And you do that even now as I'm speaking. You say, Lord Jesus, please forgive my sins and be my saviour. And if you mean it, you're in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. We thank you that your plan to bless the whole world, your plan to rule over all people, is being fulfilled in Jesus. And Lord, it, it, it amazes us. When we, when we look at ourselves, it amazes us to think that you are using us in this plan. Lord, may we press into Jesus. If, we, if we've had a rubbish week, if we feel sinful and like running away, may we run to Jesus instead of away from him. And for those who are here that are not yet yours, may they run to Jesus this morning, confess that they're a sinner, and ask Jesus to be their saviour. Amen. We're going to sing, it's half, I suppose it's a half carol, from the squalor of a borrowed stable.
unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father prince of peace of the increase of his government and peace his rule and blessing there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. How can we be certain of this happening? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Amen. <laughs> 